Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter, the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Hello and welcome to Garden Success. We are back live today. Uh, I hope you enjoyed last week's uh, show as we kind of brought back our our viticulture specialists and talked about all things grapes. It was a, that was a one well worth running. Uh, today we're live, so you can give us a call. It's uh, 979-845-5689, 979-845-5689, or by email, gardensuccess at tamu.com. E-D-U. Well, we're just going to start off going straight to the phone today and talk to Kate. Hello, Kate. Good. Well, I guess it's afternoon now. It's yeah. Say morning. Well, we'll take that. Either <laughs> okay. way. Um, obviously, in early spring, I have been putting new plants in, and I have some root stimulator, mm-hmm. and I was using that for the new um, in- installations. I have planted for the second time a redbud tree. I lost my first one, so I want to be real careful with this one. And I'm wondering if as I water it, I guess it's been in the ground maybe three weeks. Okay. As I water it, can I put some root stimulator, what I have is a powder, and keep encouraging root development? Or did it have to be done down deep in the dirt when I planted it? Well, no. I mean, if you were going to use a root stimulator, it it wouldn't matter if you drenched it on. In fact, that's probably a better way to go about it. Um, so the tree is already interested in making roots. I mean, that's that's just part of the nature of it. And I would say that the most important thing you do is to make sure the soil and the cylinder that you put in the ground stays moist. Uh, so it's going to be a while before it has roots in the soil around it. Uh, they okay. will start, start venturing out. And if you, if you cut roots uh, that were wrapped around in the pot before you No, plant, it was not, it was not uh, strangled. It, it was nice and loose. No, okay, good. So when you put it in the ground, those roots are going to start to move out. But for now, almost all of them are right there in that same spot. And so... When you water, you want to water so that's moist, but not keeping it soggy wet. So it's more, you know, a a moderate application of water frequently to that spot. When we start getting hotter, you're going to need to do a little more. And you can expand the area that you're watering. Uh, But the the problem is these, these trees that go in, you know, let's say mid to late spring, or even especially in summer, is... Folks don't think about the fact that the roots are still where they were in the pot when, when you mm-hmm. put it in the ground. And so when it when it sits in a garden center or at your house, if you don't get around to planting something, you have to water it a day once or twice a day to keep it, you know, well Whoa. well watered. Well, in the pot. In the pot. Okay? <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. yeah. So oh, th- that's because you've got a, a sizable tree that would have roots going way out in all directions if it were growing in the ground from a seed, let's yeah. say, uh, and, and it's all wound up in that pot. So once it goes in the ground, it can pump that cylinder dry on a warm, windy day. 
and that's why we're giving it small doses until it gets better established, okay? Just okay. watch that you don't overwater it. But the root stimulator, you can use that if you want. It would just be drenching it down would be fine. Uh, second question, planting new plants, and I am getting to the point where I'm really trying to just plant perennials. My garden, I mean, last year I spent $650. This year, so far, $450, and that's just too much. Okay. So um, when I'm planting these new, <laughs> I call them creatures because I'm, okay. they're like members of the family. Um Am I not supposed to fertilize them as they're transplanted? Wait a little while? We're talking about, we're, we're away from trees and we're talking about other, like yeah, perennials. Yeah, like, yeah, ground okay. covers and yes. verbena right. and what else, I, cosmos. You, you know, I usually will water them in with a soluble solution just to provide a little boost there. You want to read the label and don't mix it too strong, but just a little mm -hmm. boost. And then maybe a week later, I'll water them in with that again, just to give them a little bit of a boost. But they don't need a lot of extra fertilizer. If your soil test were to show you needed certain nutrients, well then yes, we, we need to get those in the ground. But in general, those trees, or, or excuse me, perennials, are going to be just fine. Good deal. Okay. Glad okay. to know. Yeah, and, and I, I answered a pretty generic question there. I mean, because... It could be a wide variety of species we're talking about. So some things would like a little more uh, nutrient, a little more water, a little less water than others. How about bougainvillea? They seem to drink a lot of water. They're in pots. Uh, well, in a pot, everything is going to need, need more water. But bougainvillea is not something that is super susceptible to drought. Now, if you want it to do well, you want to keep it moist for sure. But uh, mm -hmm. if it gets a little dry, it, it'll... It'll bounce back from that. No. Well, so far I've had a couple of these bougainvillea for, God, six or seven years. I mean, way pre-COVID, and they're hanging on. I only lost one this past winter. The pot was just Mexican terracotta and way too heavy to move in. Okay. I tried to wrap a blanket, but it didn't make it. Yeah, yeah. So... I don't know if you may not own one of those dollies or hand trucks, as they call them, but... Uh, no, I do. Oh, you do? I just... Yeah. Yeah, I put, the pots I could lift, I put on the a flat cart, and I rolled them in the garage, put the yeah. grow lights on them. But this one, I just couldn't even get up, up on the dolly. Yeah, well, th the thing about the, the little dollies is you can just slide the lip underneath the plant and then put a strap that holds it to the dolly and that way you're not lifting anything. You're just slightly tilting the plant to one side so the dolly lip can get underneath it. You know what I'm talking about? I know, and I borrowed one of those. My cart is flat, but I borrowed a neighbor's dolly, but this pot is fat. It's very round, Okay. and it didn't seem like the lip went deep enough under there. So. I see, okay, all right. Well, uh, good luck with those plants. Sounds like you've got a lot of different things growing. Oh, wait, here's one other question. I have a Sombriel, I guess you call it a heritage rose or an antique rose climber. Yes. If I'm saying that right. Um, February 21, was that the really cold winter? Yes. It wasn't 22, was it? 21. Well, maybe it was 20, yeah, 21. 21, yes. Um, I lost three canes. So I only have four canes left. It looks kind of scrawny. 
Um, does fertilizing help generate any new canes, or is it just so much for life? Well, fertilizing stimulates growth, So, and with roses, that's, that's important. Uh, we do fertilize them periodically to keep them growing. Uh, is it in lots of sun? Yeah, about 10 hours. Oh, okay. Well, if it's got good sun, decent soil... Uh, it ought to be it ought to be filling back in pretty soon. Uh, the the fertilizing I would do that probably about now, and uh, maybe again in maybe May, uh, put it on. And then I usually will do a little uh, fertilizing as we go into the fall because fall's a a good season for blooms on things that repeat bloom, uh, the, and roses that repeat bloom. And so we give them a late summer stimulation too. You know, I, the research I've done has mentioned that about when to prune a climber. Mm-hmm. And I have yet, I've had this thing, I don't know, eight years or so, maybe more. Um, I've never been able to determine if it a, has a secondary bloom. It's finished its first flush. Oh, my God, I should send you a picture. It's just a jewel when it's in full bloom. Mm-hmm. But they've petered out now, and I'm just wondering... I guess I just hold my breath and see if there's a second flush. Of the blooms on, on Sombriel? Yeah. Oh, boy. I think Sombriel is a once bloomer. Someone, That's my impression. Someone I, listening can correct me on that. But most climbers are once bloomers, but not all. And so there's uh-huh. always exceptions. But um, I think it is. Um, so, yeah. That, so that would be... So with a once bloomer, it's setting its buds in the fall for the spring bloom when it does that. Yeah. And so you want to be careful on pruning, you know, fall anytime near the fall from late, really from late summer on, I would just minimal pruning on something like that. Well, it's only going to bloom on new growth, right? Cor- I thought I no. should prune. No, it's no? Other, uh, if it's a once bloomer, it blooms on old growth. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, hold on. Hold on. It, it has buds on it, but it, it, as the new growth comes out, it's going to be on the ends of the new growth. That That's correct. Correct, yeah. yeah. That's where it was this year. Okay. Well. Well, it's a, it's an all-star, but, you know, it's it flashes and just dazzling, but, I mean, it only lasted like three weeks, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, you talked about uh, right up front, you were talking about, you know, wanting to plant perennials, and that's that's the thing with perennials. Most of them have their season. Uh, we have a few perennials that just like some of our salvias that just go all summer long, but a lot of perennials are either spring or fall. You know, in fall we have the mm-hmm. fall aster, and we have the Mexican bush sage, and others that that's their season. And so when you have a mix of those around the landscape, you always have something blooming. But uh, that's why people use annuals because you get instant color with annuals. I know. Uh, yeah. All right. Thanks for uh, so much help. I'm sorry I had so many questions, but <laughs> I'm not sure if you had other people waiting. Thank that, you again, Skip. That's what we're here for. Thank you for the call. Our phone number is 979-845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu. Dot edu garden success at tamu dot edu. All right, let's go to the email. Uh, Megan emailed and 
There is a post oak tree in the yard that uh, has some damage to the trunk. Uh, and so I just want to, you know what, I'm going to hold off on that. I don't like people sit on hold for too long. Uh, let's go take a call and then I'm going to come back, Megan, to your email. Uh, we're going to go to Stacy. Hello, Stacy. Hi, Skip. How can we help question, today? Um, question on apples. Um, so I have an Anna apple tree. It's loaded with apples this year, just tons. Um, and last year I had them, but I wasn't sure how big the Anna apples really get because they were kind of on the small side. And I didn't know if I needed the thin apples like I do like peaches and stuff. You do. Uh, with, okay. ap with apples, you thin them to one per cluster. So when it blooms, you'll get this cluster of blooms. And typically, there is a center bloom that's bigger than the others. Uh, so I, that's the king blossom, and that would be the most important one to leave, and you'll get a, you will get a better apple out of that. I mean, they all make apples and taste like they're supposed to taste, but uh, I, I generally just go one per cluster. Okay. Maybe yeah. that was my problem last year. Do, do I need to do any extra fertilizing in the, when the apples are on? Or uh, You know, look at the tree and its growth. Okay. If, it's, if it's putting on, we talk about terminal growth. That's like this year shoots. How long do they get by the end of the season? Uh, if mm -hmm. it's not putting on a foot of terminal growth or so, I would give it some fertilizer to encourage a little more vigor. Uh, but if it's got pretty good vigor, you don't necessarily need to do that. You don't want to overdo it. Okay, and then um, one other question. I got a, a, I believe it was a pineapple, pear, and a, a plum tree, and I haven't got them in the ground yet. It's kind of like what you had with the last caller. My yeah. hope is this weekend I can get big event to help me dig the holes and get it in the ground. There you go. Just, just keep it extra watered. I mean, one's leaping out, one's not quite there yet. Yes, and when you take them out of the pots, look and see if the roots are going in a circle. Just take your hand pruners and cut those. Uh, okay. in, in several places around the ball, and the tree will be fine. Get it in there. Don't dig the hole. Don't let the folks dig the hole deeper than the depth right. of the root cylinder. Wide, same depth. Yeah, you want to set it down on hard soil. Think of it that way, rather than you know soil that's been broken up. Uh, and then use the same soil that you dug out of the hole to put back in the hole. Water it in real mm -hmm. well, and uh, they should be good to go. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Stacy. Bye. Bye-bye. Our number is 979-845-5689, or email is gardensuccess at tamu.edu, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Uh, Ed emailed about onions. Uh, some of the onions in the garden are blooming. You know, onions send that stalk up that has like a a, um, a little ball of blooms at the top uh, and he was wondering if removing those would help the bulbs grow bigger and at that stage Ed no they won't uh, that doesn't help to remove and actually when they hit that stage oftentimes that onion doesn't keep as well so those are the ones I would use first uh, when you're inside you know using the onions you grew the onion bulb size is is basically um, focused on the size of the plant when it starts to bulb. So here, here's what I'm talking about. You know, we plant these little oh, pencil size onion transplants in January and uh, they start to grow. And with each leaf that that onion adds, you get a ring in the bulb of the onion. So if you slice horizontally across an onion, you see all the rings. Well, each ring 
is the base of a leaf. So if you have an onion with five leaves, you're going to have a really small bulb. If you've got an onion that's got more leaves than that, then the bulb has the potential to get get bigger because when the day length starts to lengthen, which it is, it signals a lot of our cool season plants to bloom. That includes onions. It includes um, the uh, spinach and the lettuce. You know, you start to see the bloom stalks coming up on those. Uh, and that's a day length thing. And so you just need to get onions in early, fertilize them well, get them growing fast because uh, once they, once the the day length tells them to make a bulb, that's how big they are. Now I can tell you this, a golf ball size onion tastes just as good as a softball size onion. So don't, uh, don't despise the small things of the garden. Uh, they're, they're fine to eat just as they are. Okay, I want to get back to uh, Megan's uh, question. So this, this post oak trunk uh, suffered significant damage a while back. There's like a vertical area where you can see the interior wood. But Megan, because I see such a thick callus growth from the sides, it looks like there's several inches or a couple of inches at least of callus that's already started crawling back across the interior wood to close over that wound. I think you're going to be fine. That's a young tree. Uh, the trunk's not big at all. It's got good vigor. It's healing fast. I shouldn't use the term healing. Uh, trees don't heal. They just have callus that closes over. Uh, but uh, I think it's going to be fine. I wouldn't, wouldn't worry about it. Be, be careful with the temptation to want to fertilize and water it to make it grow faster. The, the post oaks just aren't crazy with our horticultural practices. You know, we start watering a lot and, and you know, adding a lot of fertilizer and things. They're just not, they don't like that. And so just let nature make it grow at the pace that it's going to grow. And I think judging from the, the uh, wound closure that I see, I think it's going to be in good, just fine in a few years. It'll be closed over. Let's see. I had an email from uh, Ping on an organic control for Bermuda grass in a vegetable bed. So I'm assuming this is a raised bed with sides. Uh, if that's incorrect, you just have to let me know. Uh, but when Bermuda grass gets in, there is not a good organic way to get rid of it. There are things you can do that will slow it down or suppress it, uh, but hand digging is an option that's very tedious. And in a tall bed, you're going to have trouble getting down there and getting all of it out. Uh, Bermuda grass is a bane of gardeners. And in the situation you're in, if you are going to grow organically, uh, I'm going to tell you what I would do, and it is, you will not like it, but I would basically go to another spot and get rid of the Bermuda grass in that spot as best you can. I would put down a fabric cover, one of the black, uh, you roll them out, fabric ground covers. And so that's if you go to a garden center and you see pots on that black fabric on the ground, that's what I'm talking about. And I would put it so that it extends wider than the bed is going to be. And then I would move the bed sides or however, whatever kind of bed you have, I'd restructure that bed there and take your soil, go through a screen and refill the new bed. And I know that is an incredible amount of work, but now you've got something that Bermuda grass won't come into the new bed. Okay. Uh, 
don't put the fabric inside the bottom of the bed because the Bermuda will come between the fabric and the sides of the bed on the inside and you will be right back in a mess. Uh, that is the, the real solution. I know that's not news you want to hear, and, but that I think is what you're going to do. That or for this time, go ahead and shift over to either a uh, product that kills everything uh, you know, a glyphosate or Roundup is the brand that everybody's heard of, the, the example, or a product that just kills grass. And there are products that are just grass-only killers. And use them according to the label. You're going to have to do it more than once because you're not going to get it all the first time uh, and regain that. that. But just realize that your lawn now is going to continue to grow, not just on top of the ground, but it's going to have the underground rhizomes and it's going to be back in there. And so you're going to have to do that again, uh, unless you just created some sort of a, uh, you know, a flashing around the bed that goes deep into the ground and is essentially a wall, which there we go again with a lot of, of work. I hope that helps, uh, Xiaoping. Uh, uh, email from Rhonda was uh, talking about ragweed uh, in a bed and uh, trying to deal with that. And uh, hand pulling it is a good option, but if it's truly ragweed, then a mulch will stop it from growing because the seeds will not be able to get sunlight to come up. Now, if it's a perennial weed that looks like that, uh, then the mulch is just going to kind of lift the mulch up or push through the mulch, and you're not going to have real good success with it. Uh, but other than spraying or digging, the, that pretty much is, is what your options are. Our phone number is 979-845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu dot edu garden success at tamu dot edu talk about some things going on around town that you need to grab a pen and a piece of paper because this weekend is a really busy weekend for people that love gardening uh, first of all the brazos county master gardeners are having their annual plant sale at the brazos county extension office that's it on county park court it's next to the tax office uh, the county tax office and uh, this is their plant sale that they have each year uh, uh, it uh, is a, an event that is going to offer a wide variety of plants all kinds of plants including uh, tomatoes, peppers, uh, there'll be a lot of herbs that they have. And in addition to the, the standard landscape types of plants and vegetables and stuff, they're also going to have what's called pass-along plants. So these are plants that master gardeners here in Brazos County have grown in their yards and they have, as they multiplied, they've dug them up and repotted them and now they're available to you. So the master gardener plant sale Saturday, March 25th. Now, it begins at 8 a.m. and it ends at 11 a.m. But last year, I can tell you this, at, at, at the beginning of the sale, when they essentially, the equivalent of opened the doors, the line was all the way down the street uh, to, to the other, you know, the end of the tax office next door. So if you want to have your best um, selection, the most options, I would get there early. Uh, and so that is uh, the spring plant sale for the Master Gardeners. I encourage you to check that out. 
the Native Plant Society. Uh, the Post Oak chapter of the Native Plant Society of Texas, that's our local chapter, they're having a plant sale also on March 25th from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Uh, and they don't, you, if you come before 9, that's fine, but you're, you're not going to, like the Master Gardeners, they don't open up for sales until the start time. And it's at Lick Creek Park which is out Rock Prairie Road to the east of College Station. That's the Native Plant Society. And they're going to have a wide variety of plants as well, focusing on natives, of course, as you would expect. Uh, and so that is another thing. These uh, volunteer group plant sales help fund the projects that these groups do. So when you enjoy uh, looking at the Master Gardeners test and demonstration gardens, um, when you come to programs and things, that that's that kind of funding is coming through the volunteers uh, for things like that. Uh, there is the opportunity to learn at uh, a couple of options uh, on March 25th, this Saturday, at 1 p.m. at Producers Co-op. There is a talk on making biology work for you, making biology work for you. And uh, a fellow from MicroLife Fertilizers will be there discussing uh, the biological activity in the soil and uh, how to stimulate that to get the best results. On, let's see, the, I told you there were a lot of things going on. Uh, Tuesday, next Tuesday, March 28th, the Brazos County Master Gardeners Association is having a talk on health and fitness for gardeners. A couple of our master gardeners will be providing that talk. Uh, and, you know, we've got uh, a, a lot of master gardeners have incredible amount of knowledge on all kinds of things. And this is kind of a, you know, outside of the how to grow a plant, uh, it's how to take care of yourself. And health and fitness for master gardeners, a great topic. I think you will find it very interesting uh, as well as entertaining. Uh, so that is Tuesday, March 28th at 7 p.m. at the AgriLife Extension Office, again, County Park Court, next to the County Tax Office. Uh, let's go a little bit further out. Uh, April 1st at, at again, Producers Co-op. Uh, this is part of their spring gardening series, which begins, each class begins at 1 p.m. out at Producers. And this one is on turf grass management. Uh, Mark Bowen and Louis uh, Chamorro from Heirloom Soils will be there talking about managing turf grass so that you can have good success uh, with those. Uh, the, by the way, the next one is Texas Natives. Uh, that will be April 8th. That will be the topic, 1 p.m. at Producers. Cheryl Lewis, uh, one of the master naturalists, will be there talking about Texas native plants. So you got a couple of opportunities to learn about natives. We'll tell you about some more going fur further out, uh, but just know that all, every Saturday all the way to April 29th uh, at Producers, there's going to be an educational talk going on. Whew. Lots of things, but it's the right time of the year for that, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of cool. Uh, Wednesday, March 29th. This is one. I'm going back in time here a little bit. Uh, Wednesday, March 29th, the Blue Bonnet Garden Club will have a talk called Waltz Across Texas Through a Floral Interpretation of Yesteryear. Wow, that's interesting. Waltz Across Texas Through a Floral Interpretation of Yesteryear. That will be in Brenham. The Blue Bonnet Garden Club meets in uh, Brenham at the Giddings Stone Mansion. Now, we always say have your pen ready, so here we go. Uh, it's from 1 to 5 p.m. 
Wednesday, March 29th. And if you want to purchase tickets, this, this is a $15 per person event. The number is 832-971-6363. 832-971-6363. By the way, that's going on on Wednesday and also on Thursday. Uh, uh, Wednesday is 1 to 5, Thursday is 10 to 3. Wow, lots of detail. All right. Our phone number, if you would like to give us a call, is 979-845-5689. 845-5689 or by email at gardensuccess at tamu dot edu. Gardensuccess at tamu edu in the vegetable garden let's talk a little bit about some of the things that uh, we can be doing right now uh, th this is the gardening month March and April are, are the spring big time traffic jam in the garden gardening months and I say traffic jam you probably heard me talk about this before but I say traffic jam because we still have cool season plants that are in the garden you may have broccoli still going. You may have cabbage, spinach, lettuce, uh, maybe carrots or something like that that's still going in the garden. And so what are you going to do? You, you know, Do you pull those out so you can plant your tomatoes and your peppers and your eggplant and squash and cucumbers and melons and, and everything else? Uh, that's the traffic jam we kind of have to work around. But for your warm season vegetables, the sooner you plant, the better. So we'll take tomatoes, for example. You can plant tomatoes uh, for a wide variety of time, and you could plant one in late April. But I can tell you this, that unless it's a cherry type planting in late April, you're not going to get much, if any, uh, production. And so the best time is to get it done uh, by early April at the very late latest mid-April, but I would even get it done at the end of mid to end of March for for the most success. Uh, so squashes would include summer squash and winter squash also, uh, summer greens, uh, melons like watermelon, cantaloupe, muskmelon, honeydew, those those types of things can all be planted. Uh, we could plant okra. It's a little early. It's a little cool for it, but that's going to come up uh, in, when we get into April. Uh, there's just a lot of things to be planting uh, right now in the garden. Corn, sweet corn. Have you ever grown sweet corn before? Uh, this is a time to get the sweet corn planted in your garden as well. Uh, so, gosh, I think I named about everything. Did I mention bush beans, bush beans and pole beans? This is a good time for those. So if you've never gardened before, at least try gardening in a container. Get a big container, at least... I don't know, five gallons for most of small statured plants and 10 gallons for things like um, tomatoes you know, that, so they have a little more soil, don't have to water as much. Uh, that it's just to, to, to grow tomatoes in a large container, it, it's easy and it's fun and you can put it kind of anywhere you want that's got good sunlight. That's the nice thing about a container, whereas an in-the-ground garden, maybe it's a spot that isn't well lit by the sun, uh, you can, in a container, put it right where the sun is. Let's go to the phones now. Our number, 979-845-5689, and we're going to talk to John. Hello, John. Good morning, Skip. I, I have a question. We've got two apple trees. One is a Dorset Gold, and the other is a Fuji. Okay. Uh, they, they seem to have little buds on the terminals of the stems, but 
but nothing has they haven't leaped out at all yet are, are, are they history or, or do I just need to be patient well that's strange the Dorset is a very low chill apple so it should have leafed out um, a, a little bit before now even uh, Fuji it's not a super high chill apple. I mean, you can grow them here, uh, but I could see it being a little slower to come out of winter. But um, I don't know. That that's a curious thing. Be interested in seeing a picture of it just to try to try to be able to diagnose it a little bit better. I'd be curious for those folks that are listening. I, th I talked to someone a while ago that had an Anna apple, which is kind of like Dorset Golden in terms of of its chill hours. Uh, that was was growing. Those of you listening, what stage are your apples in right now? I'd be kind of curious to know. I well, don't know. Uh, Skip, you know, we're on the north side of Franklin, so I, maybe maybe uh, maybe our temperatures are. I mean, maybe the, we're just slower to leaf out. I don't know. You know, I don't think you are in terms of temperature, really. Uh, you know, getting the chill hour. In fact, if anything, you should be a little bit better off. Um, uh, but we are having some nice warm temperatures this week, and things ought to really get moving. But when you describe it, you're talking about the ends of branches, right? Right, right. They just they have the little a little swelling there at the end uh -huh. of the branches, and and I I usually expect to see it leaf out from there. Yeah. But, well, I can't quite picture what you know swelling might look like in terms of what you're seeing, uh, but when a when a plant, when a fruit plant doesn't get adequate chilling, it's typical for the buds to break at the terminal end, but along the branch, there's limited bud breaking. Uh, again, I, I don't know what to think with the varieties you mentioned. That shouldn't be the case for this year, but I, I guess that, I don't know, unless they're not the variety you thought. Well, they still have the tag on them, so I think that's... Okay. I think, and and last year, I mean, we we've had had we've had them now for a number of years. So they, they uh, we've had uh, flowers and leaves and everything before. We, we we hardly ever get any fruit because of the damn squirrels. But mm -hmm. uh, we we it has you know it has looked healthy in the past, and it actually it looks very you know the 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 branches are 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 limber. I mean they're they're not dried and brittle or anything yeah wow that is that's unusual I, again i'd love to see a picture of it if if there was a way to send if you could email me one but i, I don't i don't know what to say on that uh okay. i guess I, i'm going to i'm going to go take some pictures and send them to you okay you can just try decide. to get a yeah try to get a close-up and you have to put your hand behind that bud because what happens with my camera at least my cell phone is when I try to take a picture of a little branch, it focuses on the woods behind it or something else. So you put <laughs> okay. your big hand right there, and it'll make it focus on your hand, and, and so I can see what you mean by the swelling. Okay. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get right on that. Is the rest of the garden doing well? Oh, yeah. We, we, uh, we, we've got a number of things. Our squash is looking really good. Uh, uh, and uh, I, we did garlic. And it's looking great, and onions are great, and potatoes are great. Wow. Uh, well. And uh, and we've got, I don't know, 25 or 30 tomato plants going. 
uh, of various kinds. I mean, Mary just picked a whole bunch of different kinds. Well, that's and, that sounds like a lot to take care of. It is. It is. <laughs> I guarantee it. Well, we, we've got most all of the garden on on drip irrigation, so it's it's mainly just weeding and and uh, yeah, trying to try and keep an eye on the insects. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> you know we joke about gardening being work and it is but uh, it's i don't know i think it's i enjoy it uh, unless it's july and i'm pulling up nutgrass in beds of fire ants on my knees you know that it's not so much fun right then (laughs) all right i I was i was really happy when the the the, uh, insecticide people came up with a come and get it uh, yes which is good which is Yes. That has helped. That's that's been a win-win. Uh, folks that want to garden organically can use it, and and it is effective. Uh, it's it, good. it is. It's it's done really well, and and they they can come up really quickly too. Uh, <laughs> yes, they so can. It, it's it's good to have something that to battle against them. That's right. They can be a they can be a pill. Well, hey, I. I appreciate the call and and I look forward to seeing some pictures. I'm really curious what what's going on. I I guess if I were to have to make a guess right now, it would just be just hang on, they're going to come out. I think everything's fine based on the fact that you said they've done well before. The branches are still supple, so I think you're okay. But yeah, we'll our, our our grape vines are doing really now really showing well. Even the ones that that leaf late, mm-hmm. uh, we we've gotten some leafing on them too, and even some starts of grapes so we're we're looking forward to that well good good uh, may have to start a farmer's market up there with all that stuff going on the pigs the pigs are doing great too i I was worried about the pigs with the with the the dry and the cold and all that but but uh and of course when we had these storms that gum pine trees fell on about three or four of them so oh wow okay you know they're they're fighting back but they're <laughs> they're coming from way behind all right well y'all you, you and mary do a good job i know and so i'm sure they'll be bountiful <laughs> okay all right well, i'll send you some pictures Th- thank you sir appreciate okay. the call our phone number is 979-845-5689. And let's see, we're going to go to the phones now and talk to Colleen. Hello, Colleen. Hello, good afternoon. I'm calling with a question about multiplying onions. Okay. Um, I have had them in the ground uh, and was out of town for a couple of weeks and returned to find out that they were all setting seed heads. And... Uh, I've never had this experience with multiplying onions before, so I'm interested in knowing whether you think that the weather has gotten so warm that it's time to pull them and dry them over the summer, or is there something else that I should be doing with these onions? So are these the same multipliers that you've grown in the past? You just save some to replant the next year? Um, yes. Okay. You know, I, I'm not going to be able to tell you exactly why they're doing the seed heads, but the first thing I think about is uh, some sort of a, a stress-related event. And so the December freeze this year has done some things that we wouldn't normally have expected. Uh, and I'm just kind of wondering if that effect 
in any way would cause a multiplying onion once the weather warms up a little bit to, to send the seed head up early. I don't know that it would, but that's the only thing I can think of that would be that would be different because they haven't performed these same genetically the same plants haven't performed that way for you in the previous year so uh, well yeah i've only had them uh one time previously okay uh so you know it hadn't been 10 years or anything but it, they are the same onions okay. that i dried yeah so um that's a really interesting idea and maybe it's like the idea that a lot of trees, especially oaks, have a profusion of acorns when they've been stressed. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, you know, it's a it's a guess. I don't know if it's even an educated guess, but it's a, it's just a guess kind of speculating. Uh, we need a vegetable specialist to call in and set me straight on that. Uh, but uh, it sounds like... Well, what would you do now? What would you do now? Would you Should I pull them all up and dry them, or should I just pull out the seed, you know, the... Bloomstalk. Yeah, well, you could you could take the bloomstalk off, but I don't think you're going to accomplish a whole lot uh, by doing that. I would, you know, usually when I have multipliers, I prefer to just harvest some and use them as I want, uh, and then save some to dry at the end and and keep for the next year. So, uh, however you want to go about it is fine. I don't think it's going to make a big difference either way. You don't think it's going to make a difference if I were to pull up some of them now to dry. It's just that I have more than I want because it kind of went crazy while I was out of town. Okay. Well, other than just, you know, finding somebody that likes onions and sharing some plants with them, <laughs> uh, you could go ahead and pull okay. them up. That that would be fine. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank All you very much. All right, Colleen. Thank you for the call. Our phone number, 979-845-5689, 845 5689 or by email garden success at tamu.edu garden success at tamu.edu let's see someone had emailed me about uh, how to eradicate cannas well that's interesting Um, so what what I would I would do is just dig them up. I, I just think that's the simplest thing. I had some cannas in the front yard, and it was a type I did not like. I didn't plant them. Somebody else did. Uh, it was a type I didn't like, and so I just dug them up. And then I discovered that I missed a few pieces, and the little sprouts came up here and there, and I dug those up. So it took about two and a half diggings, I guess, to, to make sure I got them all. But that's probably the simplest thing, just try not to break off those, those rhizomes uh, underground. Uh, because then you you know they will survive and, and propagate a new plant there. Hope that helps. Let's go to the phones again eight four five five six eight nine and we're going to talk to uh, Gary. Hello, Gary. Hey, Skip. Uh, I got a question about uh, azaleas and you know creating the right soil conditions for those. Um, so I've, I've been using uh, products called Mere Acid. Um, but I've read that like aluminum sulfate can be used for um, what would be hydrangeas to like change the bloom color. Yes. Can I use aluminum sulfate for azaleas? Yes, in, in moderation you can. Uh, it's another way to to lower uh, the pH a little bit. If your soil is a heavy clay, it's going to be really difficult to change the pH much. 
and the reason is it's just so buffered that as you add something to it, it you may dip for a minute and then it, it just comes right back up. And um, if it's more of an organic mix, you know, like, well, the ultimate would be like, um, it was sand with some peat moss in it, for example, uh, you know, that kind of thing, then it's easier to mess with the pH, but it would, it would, uh, aluminum sulfate or sulfur, either one can lower it a little bit. I'll tell you about azaleas though, here, here with our water, um, and the typical heavy soils and whatnot, they generally don't do well. Have, have yours been doing okay? Well, I'm actually calling you from Houston. That's, oh, okay. You're cheating. Yeah. You're cheating. You. I know. I uh, know. <laughs> moved to Houston to grow. Yeah, you can grow them there. Oh That's boy, they're great. beautiful. Yeah. So, and yeah, I appreciate you calling from from Houston. The um, the, uh, I would, I might start with a soil test. Are you seeing some symptoms that make you think the pH is off, like a yellowing? No. No, I just put them in, actually. Uh, <clears throat> this is the, I put them in probably back in January or maybe early February. Okay. And, uh, I mean, I notice that, like, the blooms are kind of falling off, but I, I don't, I think that's just kind of them going through there. Okay, well, with the water you got, yeah, with the water you probably have and, and everything, the conditions down there, you they should be fine. I would just focus on, if you want to fertilize with an acidic fertilizer, uh, there are there are products out there for that. You mentioned acid. That would be like a mix it in water fertilizer. Uh, the right. thing with those is you they're immediately available, but per pound of nutrient that gets kind of expensive. Uh, and you you don't. It's probably better to more build a bed that has the nutrients in it. So that would be some other acidifying fertilizer. Uh, I think like for example down there uh, in Houston you've got. The MicroLife company is in Houston, and they make knows, they yeah. make an acidifying product for that, and so that would be something to think about. But I'm not suggesting just like go buy this brand. I'm just saying that something that's acidifying gradually over time, I think, would be a good way to go. Okay. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Well, enjoy them. All right. Yeah. Thank you. For everybody, listen. Everybody listening up here is is jealous. Well, some people are jealous. <laughs> great. <laughs> you can grow great, blueberries. Great. I'll make sure to enjoy it. You can grow blueberries and azaleas and camellias, oh, gardenias. Oh my gosh, that's cheating. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll start. I'll start with the azaleas first. All right. Thanks for the call, Gary. All, right. All right. Thank you. Our phone number, 979-845-5689. The email is gardensuccess at T-A-M-U dot E-D-U. And now we're going to talk to Carol. Hello, Carol. Hi, Skip. What's up? Well, I have a question. Um, I have five white flowering dogwoods. Okay. And some, someone told me that I, they really wouldn't thrive in this kind of soil. Is that right? Are you calling from Tyler, Texas? No. <laughs> <laughs> where, where are you that you have white flowering dogwoods? <laughs> well, I got them from the Arbor Foundation. Okay. They sent them to me, and um, I, that's why I was wondering. Okay. Have they been in the ground more than a few months? No. Uh, I just got them about a month ago. Okay. I, I haven't been caught. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, that's a cha they're a challenge. There's a reason when you drive through the woods here, you don't see dogwoods, uh, and it's our, it's our you know, soils and conditions and things. Um, 
you could go out and plant them. They, they want to be in a foresty soil, which means lots of organic matter decaying on the surface. They want their uh -huh. roots well mulched in the shade of the forest, and their little heads stick out and, and catch a little sun and bloom. That's why when you drive through East Texas, you see the dogwoods kind of sticking out from the roadsides from the forest and blooming. They, they uh -huh. like the light, uh, but they, they uh, don't want to just sit out in the middle of a big, fat, sunny field and uh, uh, try to grow. So I would try to give them those conditions. Uh, a, a friend of mine, and, and this isn't a research-based answer, which I, I try to stay with research-based, but a friend of mine who I really believe, and, and he knows what he's talking about, he says he goes into the forest and he gets some soil from around a dogwood that's doing well in its native habitat, and he brings it in, and as he's planting, he just kind of includes just a little bit. I'm not talking about a truckload, you know, just a bucket, some soil. And that there's, he thinks that there are mycorrhiza and other things that are going on in association with the roots that are helping the dogwood to thrive. So I know that's probably not something that's practical unless you just haven't been to Tyler in a while and you want to go take a tour. Uh, but yeah. that, that might help a little bit as well. Okay. If you can catch any amount of rainwater just to help them out, it would be much better than, than our water that we typically have okay. here. Okay. All right. Well, I didn't know what to do with them. I put them in pots until I found this out. So probably it's best to leave them in pots, maybe. <laughs> For now, uh, they're not going to be a good long-term in a pot. They want to be bigger than that. Uh, but sure. In, but, and in a container, you're going to water them regularly, much more so than in the ground. And right. you've got to use rainwater or if you've got a water treatment system and you can, you know, get a gallon out of there every now and then for watering them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I do have rainwater, so I do collect that. But you're saying they're really not going to, they're not going to survive in our soil, right? I, you know, if you created a mix that is very organic-y, lots of decomposed organic matter and created uh -huh. a raised bed, so drainage is for sure good. Try to find a location where they can get some sun. Maybe morning sun would be ideal, but not have to be morning sun. Uh, and then water them with that. Use a, somewhat of an acidifying fertilizer. You'll give them their best shot. Okay. Okay? Okay. Okay, that sounds great. Okay, well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you for the call. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you'd like to call, we'll probably have time for another call. It's... Uh, 845-5689 for those of you listening outside the area 979-845-5689 uh, let's see I want to talk about a question by email that I got from Brian uh, Brian has a really thick spongy thatch in his yard and he is wondering uh, you know would aeration plus compost top dressing be a good thing and the answer is yes uh, if you use an aerator that pulls plugs out of the ground and drops them on the surface. So when you get the aerating, I was just looking at a, at a patch of grass up on campus by the gardens on campus, and they had aerated it, and it looked like that a whole bunch of little dogs had stopped and gone to the bathroom all over the place. That, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, so you now you have a hole in the ground, but you're dropping that soil on the surface. That helps to speed the decomposition of the thatch on the surface, as does a compost top dressing. You want a good quality screened compost, not chunks of wood out there, but uh, very good quality screened compost. Uh, there 
I don't know if there are any local companies that do it. Um, the, in some places, there are companies that will actually blow the compost out around the yard. They have a machine that it's like when you see people, you know, making snow or whatever to create a snowy scene in Texas, uh, the, that kind of uh, approach. Uh, you can also dump little piles of compost and spread them with a rake uh, all around to do the same thing, but that will speed it. Now, the fact that you have thatch in St. Augustine uh, tells me that it is getting a, lo a lot of water and maybe a little too much fertilizer. Uh, thatch is caused by the runners, which are not a fastly, fast decomposing plant part. The grass clippings decompose fast. The runners have more of the tissues, lignin-type tissues. I don't know technically if it would be lignin, but that kind of tissue that is slow to decompose. And so as a result, uh, with a lot of fertilizing, you've got all these runners climbing over each other and you build a thatch over time. So I think fixing that, I realize uh, Brian indicated that uh, the lawn has water that comes from a neighbor's property and therefore stays a little wet. If there were a way to redirect that or have a French drain or something to take the surface that's water that's coming across to your lawn and get it off site, that would be also a good idea uh, as a longer term solution. So watch, watch out for, I don't know, I may kind of hold off on fertilizing this year depending on how your lawn looks. Uh, or if you do it, don't overdo it. Maybe a spring application, maybe a fall application. Uh, I think it would do pretty good. Uh, a wide variety of questions today on these things. I want to, uh, before we before we go, and we're coming close to the end here, uh, I want to talk a little bit about herb gardening. Uh, I have become more and more interested in herbs over the years, and there are so many herbs that we can grow here, and most of them are perennial herbs. So once you purchase them and plant them, they come back year after year. And I'm talking about things like uh, rosemary and thyme and oregano and chives, onion chives, garlic chives. Uh, those, all those kinds of herbs really uh, do well. And I would encourage you to try planting them. You can put herbs at the end of a row in your garden. You can put, certainly put herbs in a container. Uh, you can, I know people that use like oregano as a little ground cover. Maybe they have walking stones through an area that you step on, but, but basically the ground cover is oregano, for example. That would, be, that would be a good use of that. So if you've never tried herbs before, don't think you have to have one of these geometrically designed, uh, what do they call them, like a knot design herb garden, knot as in K-N-O-T. That's not necessary. You can use herbs here and there, and they're they're very easy to use. If you do herbs and you haven't tried some others, I would suggest you try a Mexican mint marigold. That's an herb that it smells like the black jelly beans, the licorice jelly beans. It's used as a substitute for French tarragon in cooking. Uh, it's a it's not exactly like tarragon, but it, that's how it's used. Uh, and then in the fall, when the day length gets shorter, it has little yellow blooms on top. It's really cool. Lemongrass is another fun one. That's more kind of an annual herb, uh, but it works It works well. Uh, mints are always fun, but they have to be contained. They will take over the world, so I typically grow mint in a large container at my house. Uh, another one that I don't know if you've ever grown it before is stevia. Uh, that's an annual. 
uh, uh, stevia is one of those materials that are plants that's dried and ground up and used as a sweetener and it is sweet it's like you know putting a little sweet and low in your tongue it's very very sweet uh, that I like basil and there are lots of kinds of basil uh, but basil uh, th there's lemon basil, there's, you know, the standard uh, Genovese-type basils. There, there's, there's actually a basil called African blue basil, and I don't grow that for culinary use. I grow it because it makes a pretty large basil bush and attracts a lot of pollinators. If you have an African blue basil, and by the way, other basil flowers will attract pollinators, but uh, African blue makes a really good support plant for bees uh, during the year. And I, I think it's pretty too as an ornamental. Uh, but there are many other kinds of basils. If you want to make your pesto and so on, uh, you can you can do that. Uh, cilantro is popular for uh, Mexican dishes, but uh, cilantro is one of the ones that's going to bolt in the spring. And so the time to plant it would be more in the fall to have a good success with it, or unless you just want it for a very very short time. Well, you've been listening to Garden Success. We're here every Thursday from 12 to 1 and here to answer your gardening questions. Tell your friends and neighbors that they can give us a call. Uh, they can listen to us online, as some are doing, and they can also listen to the podcast uh, when they're done with that. So, last word, when you're out this weekend, the Master Gardener Spring Plant Sale, 8 to 11 at the Extension Office, and the Native Plant Sale, which is 9 to 1 out at Lick Creek Park, Native Plant Society Plant Sale. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley.